The two sets of friends immediately hit it off and just after midnight, Hannah, David and their friends decided to head out onto the strip. They walked past fruit stands and various bars before settling on the popular AC Beach Bar. David said he wanted some cigarettes, so headed out on his own. He made his way towards the main strip of bars and bought some cigarettes. CCTV tracks him heading back towards his room, alone. But David never made it back to his hotel room. And neither did Hannah. Red Rum is a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. We have appeared in top true crime shows on Apple Podcasts in 12 countries. Each episode tells the story of a different case. Search Red Rum True Crime wherever you get your podcasts. Stay up to date on the latest from Heidi Ellen's story. Make sure you subscribe, download, follow, and rate Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. This podcast has language that might be offensive to some. It was April 3rd, 1994, a snowy Easter Sunday just before 8 in the morning when Heidi made her last transaction at the D&W convenience store in Mexico where she worked and then disappeared. But the big question remains tonight, where is Heidi Allen? They said they grabbed her from behind the counter and dragged her out the door and threw her in the back of Michael Bohr's van. I didn't know Michael Bohr had a white van. Well, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. They didn't the van. What do you think happened to Heidi? What was done with her body? He laid down in two areas, which was a sign. It's an indication that there were human remains. All I know is they ended up chopping her up. If they would have put that van on my trailer and Heidi would have been in that van, that's where it would have went, right to the shredder. I've been in this since from day one. And, you know, there's nothing else I can say. This is the story of Heidi Allen, the story of a small town kidnapping where corruption got in the way of justice. The truth is finally coming out. In the last episode, we learned about a new cast of characters, the Murtaugh's. Richard Murtaugh owns the Crosby Hill Junkyard in Fulton, New York where the three new suspects, James Steen, Roger Breckenridge, and Michael Bohr, all scrapped junk cars. Steen, Breckenridge, and Bohr testified in the 2015 hearing. We heard Steen admit that Breckenridge told him he took a van with Heidi's remains in it to Canada. Steen also said he did not knowingly take Heidi's remains to Canada. But while testifying, Breckenridge would contradict what Steen said as well as admit that he sent a message to Jen Westcott. Did you say to Emmy, your sister, on the phone, to tell Jennifer Westcott to shut the fuck up about Heidi Allen? Yes, I ma'am, I did. Yeah. Don't know what's going on, that's why. Despite testimony that could give answers to the more than two-decade-old question, where's Heidi? District Attorney Greg Oakes and Judge King 
seemed more interested in suppressing any testimony that would implicate anyone other than Gary Thibodeau. This is Peebles for the People, and I'm Alex Peebles. I don't know what the world's been missing, but I think we need a miracle. I'm Everything District Attorney Greg Oakes said about finding the truth was contradicted by his actions in court. As the prosecutor, he had the opportunity to question three new suspects, all of whom made admissions about their involvement in Heidi's kidnapping to other people. But in this hearing, it was like watching the roles flip. Oakes became the de facto defense attorney for the three new suspects, and Lisa Peebles became the de facto prosecutor. At one point during the hearing, Judge King even asked Lisa Peebles if she was trying to prosecute the three new suspects. And it was never more evident than in Breckenridge's testimony. Gary's defense team was trying to get Breckenridge to explain why he told Jennifer Westcott to shut the fuck up about Heidi Allen. Bianco. When you told Emmy to tell Jennifer Westcott to shut the fuck up, what was she supposed to shut the fuck up about? Breckenridge, I plead the Fifth Amendment on that. Just as a reminder, the Fifth Amendment gives you the right to not answer a question on the grounds that if you answer the question, you might incriminate yourself. So by trying to invoke his Fifth Amendment right, Breckenridge was admitting that by answering that question, he would be incriminating himself. Why would he not answer the question? Bianco asked Judge King to declare him as hostile. Remember, that would give the defense an opportunity to impeach the witness and maybe even get to the truth. But King would not declare Breckenridge as hostile. In fact, he denied every defense request to declare a witness hostile during the hearing. Meanwhile, during Oak's cross-examination of Breckenridge, the DA tried to show Breckenridge as a family man. Oaks, and so back in that time, again, you guys had Easter at your house. You had Easter baskets for the kids? Why was the district attorney asking about Easter baskets instead of Heidi's kidnapping? Why was he defending Breckenridge, an already convicted criminal? Just to give you more context on Breckenridge, at that time, he was sitting in state prison for grand larceny. And his former friend Dewey told me recently that Breckenridge was in jail again. Breckenridge was hardly a Father of the Year candidate. Also, according to Jen Westcott's testimony, Breckenridge would have her perform sexual favors for him to settle his debt. Lisa Peebles, okay, well... Explain the circumstances under which you had sex with Bob Zakala, Jennifer Westcott. I went in the bedroom with him, had sex. Roger said, thanks for taking care of that. Oaks would go on to ask Breckenridge about Heidi Allen, but listen to the questions he, as the prosecutor, asked. Mr. Breckenridge, you said you don't know the Thibodeaux. Nope. You don't know Richard Thibodeau? No. You don't know Gary Thibodeau? No. As far as you know, you've never met them? Never. 
do you have any personal knowledge whether do you have any personal knowledge regarding Gary Thibodeau's guilt regarding the abduction of kidnapping Heidi Allen? Never knew anything. I, mean, I never, I never, I don't know. Would it be fair to say, as you sit there, you personally don't know whether he's guilty or innocent? No. So let me ask you, did you have anything to do with the abduction of Heidi Allen? No, no. Did you go to the DMW store on Easter morning of 94? No. Nope. Did you work with any other people to lure her out of the store and throw her in a van? No. Nope. Did you see Heidi Allen? No. Nope. At Easter morning of 94 or any time after that? No. Nope. Did you ever dispose of her remains? No. Nope. Do you have any idea where her remains are? No. If you did, if you had heard reliable information regarding where her remains are, would you tell somebody? Yes, I would. Why would you? Because I got kids their age. I would, well, I would want to know if, if something happened to one of my daughters, I would want to know what, what happened to my kid. Yes, I would. And that's the God honest truth. If I knew where she was, I'd be telling. Right here and right now. But you don't know? But I don't know. I wish I did. Thank you, Mr. Breckenridge. Why was Oakes just taking Breckenridge's word for it? He was an already convicted criminal, and the list of people who said Breckenridge made admissions to them had grown. Oakes was in the room when Chris Combs gave him details of Breckenridge's admissions. He was in the room when Jennifer Westcott broke down in tears in fear that Breckenridge would come after her for talking about his involvement. And there were others who came forward with similar information, like Amanda Braley, a longtime friend of Breckenridge, Westcott, and Steen, who came forward with shocking accounts of Breckenridge boasting about Heidi's kidnapping in front of her and Westcott. Here's Braley's account of Breckenridge's admission according to her affidavit. Breckenridge, we took that bitch to the scrapyard in the van, had it crushed, and she was shipped to Canada. She's long gone now. See ya. Bye. Westcott. Roger, you can't be saying that shit. Breckenridge. What, Jen? That shit is done and over with. And besides, nobody's ever going to find her. Let me explain this to you a bit more. As the prosecutor, on cross-examination, Oakes is allowed to ask leading questions and impeach the witness. Why was he not taking the opportunity to press Breckenridge about what these witnesses were all saying? Oakes didn't ask a single question about the witnesses who heard Breckenridge admit that he was involved in Heidi's abduction. Oakes knows of at least four people who have come forward and said under oath that Breckenridge bragged about what happened to Heidi, that he knew what happened to her, and that he was involved. Yet Oakes, as the district attorney who claimed he wanted to do justice, he wanted to hold those involved in Heidi's kidnapping responsible, asked softball questions to Breckenridge, making it incredibly easy for him to deny everything. Now, there is something that came up during Breckenridge's testimony that is incredibly important to point out. 
During a brief recess while Breckenridge spoke with his attorney, Heidi's diaries came up. King, before we go any further, this morning the diaries were turned over to the court for its in-camera review. The court's not done that yet. The court anticipates either doing it later this afternoon or tomorrow morning. So, Miss Peebles and Miss Bianco, you know that the diaries are now in the possession of the court. They were delivered this morning for in-camera review by the people. Heidi's diaries were at the root of Gary Thibodeau's 2004 habeas petition. Remember, they were never made available to Joe Fahey, Gary's trial attorney. The other thing I didn't know about was the diary. That came that that came after up the trial. After the, the trial, yeah, yeah, and uh, what was what, the importance of that? Pardon? What was the importance of her diary? She never mentioned the Thibodeaux in it. In fact, the diaries have never been made available to any defense attorney, and no appellate court has ever seen them. After Gary was convicted, Richard's attorney was merely made aware that they existed and that the Thibodeaux were never mentioned in them. Remember, Richard was acquitted, but what was even more important about the diaries was the fact that my father, the federal magistrate judge who wrote the report recommendation to deny Gary's 2004 habeas petition, explicitly asked former district attorney Donald Dodd to provide him with the diaries, but Dodd claimed they had been lost. Quote, Mrs. Stevens' records indicate that they should still be in her possession and she has conducted a search to locate same and is unable to locate them. I therefore report back to the court that our office is not in possession of those items and that the trial record indicates they were last in the possession of the court clerk. It appears, however, that they are unable to be located by the court clerk. I certainly can understand this given the age of this matter. End quote. The diaries were another example of evidence that disappeared in the hands of the prosecution. Although the diaries somehow resurfaced after having been lost, Gary's defense team was not allowed to look through them. Since the discovery of the diaries, which happened after Gary's original trial, the diaries were restricted from the defense. Thus, no defense attorney, neither Gary's nor Richard's, have ever seen them. Why? The reason has always been to protect Heidi's privacy. But she's been missing for more than 26 years. Who knows what's in those diaries? Maybe they detail a day in the life of an 18-year-old growing up in small-town America and nothing more. Or maybe they detail Heidi's accounts of informing for police. Maybe within those diaries is a clue to what happened to her. But we'll never know, because Judge King ruled that there was nothing in the diaries that would help the defense, so they were not allowed to see them. Here's a question. If there was nothing inside those diaries that would help the defense, why not let them go through them? Are they still trying to protect the privacy of a girl who's been missing for more than two decades? After speaking with his attorney, Roger Breckenridge went back on the stand. It was clear he was connected to Steen, Bohr, Westcott, and Murtaugh. But on the stand, he said he didn't really know Michael Bohr. Bianco, I want to ask you some questions about Michael Bohr. 
Do you know him? Brackenridge. I met him once, and he was too... too much of a bug out for me to hang out with, and that was that. I never hung out with him after that. Bianco. In January 5th, 2015, were you visited at the prison you were in by Richard Hallman and Frank Sardino? Breckenridge. Yeah. Bianco. What did you tell them about your knowledge of Michael Bohr? Breckenridge. what I tell them? I told them back in the day we hung out. I talked to him. I called up Tom Martin and asked him if he friggin' knew somebody who could junk a couple of vehicles. And he got Michael Bohr. He had a black pickup truck with a trailer. And we went and junked cars that day, right up the road from the jail. And that was that. I never talked to Michael Bohr after that. Bianco. What did you tell them the year that was? Breckenridge. It was around 99. Despite what he said under oath during the hearing, Breckenridge told John O'Brien in a recorded interview that he and Bohr were friends. Was it, it, was, was it Michael Bohr's van? No. Do you know if he had a van? No, he had a black pickup truck back then when I, when I knew him. Did you know him back in 94? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How did you know? I just, just friends, and I was a... Friends how, did you know? Just, just hung out with him a little bit here and there. That he, was a, he didn't own the computer store that did in 94? No, no. It was no. later. That was later on. Why would Breckenridge lie about how he knew Bohr under oath? While on the stand, Breckenridge also contradicted what Steen said during his testimony. Roger came up to me and said something about me hauling a stolen vehicle, a van. And I said, okay, I went and asked Rich Murtaugh if that happened. He said, no, that was that. Uh, then we discussed further that it was like eight months after that, we were at a party and uh, Roger showed up, he was drunk, and he had mentioned something about, do you know what was in that van? And I said, no, I have no idea what was in that van. And he went on the part about the remains of Heidi Allen. Breckenridge denied ever having a conversation with Steen about that. So who lied and why? Let's take a quick break. This episode of Peebles for the People is brought to you in part by Real Paper. In the average household, one roll of toilet paper lasts about five days. That means about 27,000 trees get flushed down our toilets each day. It's difficult to think that our forests are being cut down to be turned into something that we use once and flush down the toilet. Luckily, I came across Real Paper. It's tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I was skeptical too, but having made the switch to real paper, I will never buy name brand toilet paper again. Not only is real paper effective, every time I use it, I get a sense of pride, knowing that I'm using a product that did not require the cutting down of a single tree. And the best part is, they ship right to my door, and there's no shipping cost. Every purchase from Real Paper helps fund access to clean toilets for those in need. Use my coupon code PEEBLES, that's P-E-E-B-L-E-S, to receive 25% off your first order at realpaper.com. In his testimony and interview with O'Brien, Breckenridge admitted 
that he and Richard Murtaugh scrapped an inoperable van from Gary Thibodeau's property. We just took a couple junk vans from there. Who did? Uh, me and uh, Rich Murtaugh, we owned the junk there. But who, who told you to take them? I mean, did you just take them? Yeah, we just took them. Who's really? They were Thibodeau's. Richard's or Gary's? Uh, I'm not really sure who they were. Did they say you could take them? Or? Yeah, yeah, he told me I could take them. Oh, Gary? Gary did? No, his oh. brother. Richard did? Yeah. Okay. So was that one of the van? Is that the van that they used? Do you know? No, no. What van was it? It was an old blue van. Blue van? Yeah. Um, an was, old pink Cadillac that was sat in there. And they were on Gary's property? Yeah. And did the sheriff's office ask you about that? No. no I never. They never asked you about crushing the vans? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They come and question me about that, but okay. that was that. Uh, Breckenridge said that Richard Thibodeau gave him permission to take the van, but while he was under oath, his story was a bit different. Bianco, how many vans do you think you scrapped over the years? Breckenridge, one. One van. The rest was just cars, trucks, and stuff like that. Tractors, junk metal. Bianco, and when was that van scrapped? Breckenridge, we took that... Me and Murtaugh took the van like a month after after the stuff happened with Thibodeau. Bianco, and where did you take that van from? Breckenridge, Thibodeau's house, yard. Bianco, okay, who gave you permission to take the van? Breckenridge, nobody. Bianco, when you say you took, what do you mean? Breckenridge, we just scrapped it. We just went on the property and took it without permission. Breckenridge admitted that the only van he ever scrapped was the inoperable van that he and Murtaugh stole from Gary Thibodeau's yard. Here's Gary Thibodeau. He keeps saying that him and that Murtaugh guy stole that van off of my property. Now, listen to Roger Breckenridge talking to John O'Brien about that van. How long after she disappeared did you crush it? It was like probably eight months afterwards. Okay. The cops was already was there, checked everything out. So they, like, well, yeah. they saw, did they see the crushed van? Huh? Did they see the van after it was crushed or was it already gone? No, they they came there before it was taken. Before it was crushed? Mm-hmm. Because your statement said you already crushed it when you talked to the police, to the, to the investigators. Oh, no. No? Uh, no, they seen it. They seen it? Yeah. It was a light blue van or blue? Yeah, a light blue van, a pink that, Cadillac. Pink Cadillac. And they were both crushed? Yeah. Where? At Murtaugh's. In Fulton? Yeah. And Dick Murtaugh helped you with it? Rich Murtaugh, yeah. Rich, okay. Was that the van Jen Westcott was telling police about? There's another van that you guys aren't aware of, and I can't believe 20 years later I have to tell you guys this. Who? It's out. Who? That, All right. That's it. Now, who, who told you that? Roger and Tracy. Roger told you? Yes. What did he say? You guys are freaking me out here. What did he say? Why, after Gary had already been arrested and police had already searched the property, would Richard Murtaugh and Roger Breckenridge take that van, scrap it, and then ship it to Canada? Breckenridge's ex-wife, Tracy Fry, might help us find the answer to that. Here's Tracy talking to police. I don't know if it was Rich Murtaugh or Thumper, and Thumper says, we got to get rid of this van before anybody gets in trouble. And that's when it went to Canada, 
and out of here. And how do you know? How do you hearing all this information? Because Thumper, will, like Thumper, has to have a brain. He'll tell you that he he did it. He, he's the one that told everybody he took the van. And did he tell you directly? No, he told Roger. And Roger wasn't Roger, with him. No, Roger didn't go with him. Roger wouldn't have nothing to do with it. I swear to God, I will put my hand on a stack of Bibles. Well, Roger gave me a statement saying he he junked the van with. Oh, dog. did he? Yeah, he was at there when he junked the van. Well, see, see that <laughs> that has nothing to do with me because when I heard that Thump, when Thumper took that van out of that yard, Roger was not with him, so he must have picked up Roger after I was not around. Tracy went on to tell police that Murtaugh told Breckenridge that the van had to go because it had something in it. When Murtaugh called Thumper and said, we got to get this van out of here, it's got stuff inside. And Thumper said, like, what? And he says, I can't tell you right now. That's because it was over the CB. So they're not going to have a conversation over the CB. So then I um, asked Roger, what are they talking about? Roger's like, I don't know. I said, yeah, you do. What are they talking about? No, nope, I don't know. I don't know nothing. Okay, you don't know nothing. Well, then the next day, um, that's when Rich Murtaugh said, we got to get this out of here because of there's blood on the seat, he told Roger. We got to get this van out of here and get it to Canada. I called Tracy, and she seemed pretty confident that Murtaugh's knew more about Heidi's abduction than what has been previously reported. Rich Murtaugh is trying to cover up because, yes, he was a belt, but no one's questioning him. No one calls him or nothing. They're always calling me or my husband, or ex-husband. So you believe that Richard Murtaugh was involved? Oh, I know Richard Murtaugh. How why would it be? It was his junkyard that they took the uh, van to. He wasn't in... He wasn't in the part where... I'm in the phone, do you mind? He wasn't in the part of... Uh, you know, kidnapping her. He wasn't in the in the about kidnapping her, but he was involved in taking the van. Is that why Murtaugh's sister Beth was so obsessed with Jen Westcott's testimony? Why they escorted Westcott to and from the hearing, shielding her from the cameras? And what about the vanishing text messages between Murtaugh and Westcott? Did those messages include information about Murtaugh's involvement in Heidi's kidnapping? What happened to those text messages? According to Beth Murtaugh, the Murtaugh's and Oaks seem to have a close relationship. Thank I you. would have helped Greg a long time ago. Okay. I would have went to Greg. Greg Oak? You remember him and I don't know how much you know or what you're in, but he's talking to my brother almost daily. I reached out to District Attorney Greg Oaks and specifically asked about his conversations with Murtaugh and if they discussed the missing text messages. Oaks responded, with two sentences. Quote, Mark Moody and slash or I spoke with Richard Murtaugh because he was a prosecution witness at the hearing. His testimony is a matter of public record. End quote. Mark Moody was the chief assistant district attorney working with Oaks on the case. And although Richard Murtaugh was a witness who testified at the hearing, he was called by the defense. He was not the prosecution's witness. On August 28, 2014, investigators Jim Petrosky and Carmen Rojek went to speak with Richard Murtaugh's father, Richard Murtaugh Sr. Before I play this, it's important to know 
This audio was included in the massive amount of material that Oaks dumped on the defense at the last minute. What do you need to know today? Murtaugh's father admitted that a van was taken from Gary's house to Crosby Hill to be crushed. You can take it to the bank. A vehicle came from where Gary Thibodeau lived, a van, and it was crushed here and was delivered to Lasco in camp. What, what was the name of the town where Lasco was at the time? Christ, I can't remember. It was between Kingston and Toronto. Now, before I go any further, Let's discuss a scenario that has been building from all of the newly discovered evidence. What if James Steen, Michael Bohr, and Roger Breckenridge kidnapped Heidi on April 3, 1994, after someone found out she was a confidential drug informant working for the police? You remember what Tanya Priest told the police and Oaks, right? And here's Bill Pierce again. I could have stopped this if I had come through yeah. 20 years ago and said, look, this is what I saw. This is who did it. But I never saw a picture of this guy, the steam, until it came out in the paper. Okay. That's the first picture that I ever saw. There's no question. That's There's no question. Then brought her to the trailer on Rice Road. And here's Westcott telling Priest that they did bring Heidi to Rice Road. Did you even know that they this was Heidi that they brought there and that this is what they were going to do? Uh-uh. You had no clue that they just showed up with her? Yeah. Oh, what a bad position for you. Surprised scared the shit out of you. Well, they, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. Yeah, that's... Her, then, what if they killed her and tried to dispose of her body? This is Priest talking to the police again. He said that they dragged her across the road and he said that it was so thick of brush and that she was such a big girl that they had a hell of a time just getting her through the tree. And he said they walked and walked forever. He said they crossed the tracks and on the other side of the tracks he said they dragged her through and there's a cabin back there. And let's not forget about Steen's friend, Megan Shaw. He helped members of the gang dispose her body out there. And when they brought her to the cabin in the woods, they tried dismembering her and burning her remains. Priest again. He said when they got to the cabin, they took a, a hacksaw and they cut her up. And here's Shaw once more. But, yeah, say how it just, all I know is they ended up chopping her up. Westcott. Like I said to you the other night, the only thing Roger ever said to me about it is that she was burned in the wood stove. And remember what Chris Combs said. Uh, but he 
basically said that they had burnt her in a wood stove. They cut her up, put her in a wood stove, burn her. But what if they didn't know that to burn human bone, the fire would have to be somewhere around 2,372 degrees Fahrenheit? To give you a better understanding of how hot that is, a wood fire burns at around 1,652 degrees Fahrenheit. So then, because they couldn't get rid of her body, what if Breckenridge, Bohr, and Steen buried her charred remains under the cabin? Priest said that's why they had to get out of town. And Jen Westcott corroborated what Priest said. It's kind of sad that that even happened. Is that why you guys went to Florida? Uh-huh. I thought so. Could that explain why three cadaver dogs picked up the scent of human remains outside that cabin in the woods off of Rice Road? Here's Catherine Bamford with the Massasagua Search and Rescue Team. He continued to move along the dirt sniffing very intensely, pawing at it a little bit, and he moved northward along this entire area of dirt, um, paying, you know, very intense. He gets up to a little area that's like a mounded area at the end, and it, there's a branch or a root there, and he started sniffing very intensely there, dug a little bit with his paw, snorted in the soil, and then he downed. And when he downs, that's his indication that he has detected the odor of human remains. Then, what if Roger Breckenridge and Richard Murtaugh saw an opportunity to get rid of Heidi's remains for good? What if they knew Gary Thibodeau had an inoperable van in his yard? So after Gary was arrested and police thoroughly searched his property and found nothing, Murtaugh and Breckenridge seized their opportunity. Tracy Breckenridge even told police that she and Roger lived just down the road from Gary Thibodeau. Okay. Because Thibodeau's lived like three houses down from us. What if they took the van and put Heidi's remains in the back of it, crushed it, and sent it to Canada? All while thinking, if they got caught with Heidi's remains in that van, they would have plausible deniability, since it was Gary Thibodeau's van, and he had already been arrested for Heidi's kidnapping. Otherwise, why steal an inoperable van from Gary Thibodeau's yard? It certainly wasn't for the money that they could get for the van. Here's Richard Murtaugh's father again. How much was scrap like that at that time going for? I don't know. We don't even have the books at that time. Not good, though. 30 bucks a ton. Yeah. Even if that van weighed three tons, they would have gotten less than $100 for scrapping it. Then they would have had to split that between a few people. That doesn't seem worth the risk to steal a junk van off of someone's property. Maybe there's an explanation within the testimony of Ronald Clark. I was in a discussion with my boys about going for a bicycle ride, and they were probably about... 14 or 15 and it was getting late at night and Jason had stopped in to see if I had a day's work that he could do 
and he just happened to pop in the door at the same time I was like kind of discussing with my boys to let him go for the bicycle ride and he looked right at my boys and they were from me to you away and he said oh boys he says it's getting late and you better listen to your dad he says uh, look at what happened to Heidi Allen and nobody was talking about Heidi Allen at the time and I was in kind of a heated discussion with my boys so I wasn't paying a real lot of attention at that time of what he was saying and then he, he continued on and he said she's long gone now and he says she she's uh, gone to Canada he says and I know more about this Heidi Allen case than the Swigel County Sheriff's they got the wrong guys they says they got the Thibodeaux in there and the Thibodeau boys didn't do it. Or maybe in Chris Combs' recorded interview with Oaks in the Sheriff's Office. They cut her up, put her in a wood stove, burn her, put her in a vehicle, whether it was a van or a car, I can't say because I don't remember years ago when he told me. But they crushed the, crushed the vehicle and sent it off to Canada, is what he told me. But he definitely... He de definitely confessed that he had some kind of involvement to him, so... Maybe there was truth in the statements from 14 people who came forward. Something else to mention about the interview with police and Richard Murtaugh Sr. is Rojek and Petrosky were there to speak with Richard Murtaugh Jr., but he refused to talk to them unless they showed him notes from when police talked to him in 1994 after Heidi went missing. Rich wants to look over his notes of what he said in 1994 before we say anything. You're, you're Richard, not you, not you, Richard. Yeah, I didn't say nothing to the police in 94, so I don't care what I say to him. I didn't, when I didn't they have, talked I to him in 94, 94, they took notes, correct or no? Sure they did. I haven't seen them. They I haven't supposed seen to. Them. Yeah, but I haven't seen them. So well, it's a real problem. They probably should have been turned over to the defense, and right. they probably weren't, and it's so... That's a lawyer problem. This comes up at least three times during the hour-long interview, and Petrosky acknowledges that they cannot locate those notes. So what if I can't produce these notes? Then what? Oh, he's going to have to take her in front of a judge to give her immunity. A lawyer, I... That's what the, I know what the lawyer's going to say. From the beginning of the interview, Don De La Cruz, Richard Murtaugh's wife, makes it clear that they are not talking until they see those statements so they do not incriminate themselves. What do you know, Don? I don't know a thing. Were, was there a, a vehicle that you, you and Richard... You want that she didn't work here at that time. Right, but Richard mentioned that you were in a, a vehicle when you went to Tipitola's yard to pick I'm not up... Talking to anybody here's the problem. I will we'll talk to you, but here's the problem. We want to see the notes of what we said in 94. Did, did you talk to somebody in 94, Don? No. no. He didn't work here. Did so you talk to anybody? No. Were you married to Richard in 94 or no. girlfriend? Girlfriend. Girl, okay. Did you? I'm not. This uh, van they went and picked up at Richard. I don't. Or uh, not Richard, or uh, Gary Thibodeau's. You went with. Richard already told us. I, I'm just trying to clarify so we could go back. You know, it was. 
you know, what he's saying. He's saying you went over with him and Roger to pick this van up. I vaguely now. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure because they're asking me to talk to you and don't kill, Look, don't kill the message. No, no, I'm not. I'm yeah. not trying to be rude. Right. There's just... no doubt that a van wasn't picked up. Yeah, a van was picked very up. Typical. Dawn admits that she was with Breckenridge and Murtaugh when they stole the van from Gary's property. But there is no record of any conversations between the Murtaugh's and police in 1994. Where are those notes? Why is it that yet again, evidence pertaining to the Murtaugh's in the Crosby Hill junkyard seemed to have just vanished? Listen to what else Murtaugh's father tells the police during this interview. Listen, you've got Roger in jail, you've got Thumper in jail, you've got Timbalo in jail. So you got the right guy. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> what? Wait, Breckenridge and Steen were the right guys? Well, if that's the case, then everything that the police and the prosecution said goes out the window. Because there has never been a theory that included Steen, Breckenridge, and the Thibodeaus working together to kidnap Heidi. Richard Murtaugh Jr. was called to testify for the defense on January 16, 2015. His testimony was an instance of Oaks yet again trying to defend a potential suspect. Bianco have you ever had a conversation with James Steen in 1994 or 95 about Heidi Allen? Oaks. Objection. Leading. King. Sustained. Murtaugh went on to deny anything regarding Heidi Allen's kidnapping. And with the help of Oaks, he didn't have to answer all of the questions that he was asked. Bianco. Did James Steen ever come to you and talk about Heidi Allen and a van? Oaks, objection, leading, king, sustained. Bianco, how many times did James Dean talk to you about Heidi Allen and a van that used to abduct her? Oaks, objection. Bianco, how many times? Oaks, objection, your honor, assumes facts, not in evidence. Bianco, he won't let me lay a foundation, judge, so I'm having a little trouble here. King, well, you're... You're asking him primarily a foundational question, and then you add some additional information on it. Bianco. Okay. King. Please. So I'm going to sustain it. Bianco. Did James Steen ever talk to you about Heidi Allen? Murtaugh. No. Bianco. Did you ever have a conversation, or what type of conversation did you have with James Steen about the van possibly used in the Heidi Allen abduction? How many conversations did you have with him about that? Oaks. Objection, Your Honor. The witness has already testified he never had any conversations about Heidi Allen. King. Sustained. During cross-examination, Oaks focused on what Murtaugh claimed was in the back of the van when he and Breckenridge stole it from Gary's property. Murtaugh claimed there was a carpet and boxes in the back of the van when they stole it. Oaks. Now, when you talk about a rolled up carpet, was it tightly rolled, loosely rolled? Could you describe it for the court? Murtaugh. Well, how, I mean, it was a roll of carpet about like this, and it went from the back door almost to the front door. Well, 
to the back of the front seats. Oaks, and your honor, the witness held his hands out a distance. Miss Peebles, would you agree that's about 16 to 18 inches or wider? What's your guess? Lisa Peebles, I don't know, whatever. Judge King, two feet. Oaks, two feet. There we go. Murtaugh went on to say that they left the carpet in the van and that Heidi was definitely not in it. But why was Oaks following that line of questioning? Why was he not asking the why? Why did they steal that van off of Gary's property? Why did they immediately crush that van and send it to Canada? Was all of that work worth the less than $100 to be split between them? What if Murtaugh, Breckenridge, and Steen put that carpet in Gary's inoperable van when they stole it? What if they put Heidi's remains in that carpet? Remember, Bohr already told police it's likely that Heidi's remains ended up at Murtaugh's scrapyard. And Bohr answered more questions during his testimony at the hearing. But for Bohr, it was an emotional time. Here's Alex Dunbar, a local reporter at the time. It was so strange. He, he was so odd. Um, and, and we were getting some video of him outside um, before he went into the courthouse. And he was just so odd. He, I remember this. Uh, he came in with this briefcase. And Lisa Peoples was asking, you know, you know, trying to find out, like, what, what's in this briefcase? Like, what are you bringing with you to a appeal hearing on a kidnapping case? Um, you know, and he didn't want to say, and you know, they, you know, they they couldn't make him open it. He broke down. He essentially had an emotional breakdown on the stand. Why would an innocent man break down on the stand at the slightest bit of questioning? Find out on the next episode of Peebles for the People. fans. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen. And if you want to stay updated on new happenings as I uncover things, go over to Twitter and give me a follow at AlexPeebles93. That's where you can find information about new episodes coming out and where you'll see exactly what I've dug up in the process of creating each episode. And if you have any questions for me about the show, feel free to tweet at me and I'll do my best to get back at you. <laughs>